Hello and welcome to another episode of a Brothers Creed podcast where we talk about motivation, experiences, and we explore the spooky world around us. We're the Thomas Brothers. I'm Ethan. And I'm Jared. And for those of you who don't know, this is our Halloween episode. And every year we do kind of a, a unique Halloween episode. Uh, we talk about some, we share some spooky stories. Uh, we do it like, we usually do like a theatrical uh, storytelling of, of at least one story. And then we just talk about some other interesting ones we've found so it's kind of a fun tradition that we've gotten into where we get in the in the in the mood of the season so definitely listen to the episode this episode of the week of halloween and you'll be you'll be ripe uh, for the halloween trick-or-treating so or any other week or any other week there's still good episodes <laughs> I, I i i i meet people all the time and we start talking about like paranormal stuff and i'm like hey you should go check out our halloween episodes they're really good and they're like oh yeah and then uh, my ha- my hairdresser is one of them. Uh, my hairdresser, if I'm like old lady, the lady who cuts my hair, she's like super into like stuff like this. And I was like, you should go listen to Halloween episodes. She's like, yeah. So shout out to her if she's listening to this one right now. Thanks for listening, Rachel. You're awesome. Thanks for cutting my hair. <laughs> but uh, yeah, let's go ahead and dive in. All right, let's do it. Yeah, I'm thinking I'm back. Most valuable commodity I know of is information. And that, my friends, is called integrity. That's called courage. Now that's the stuff leaders should be made of. Either you're somebody or you're nobody. You're not the devil. You're practice. All right, so this year, uh, I was kind of looking around for some stories, and last year we did like, cave, I, I, my theme was like cave stories, uh, and I remember my, my story from last year was super creepy, so I was looking around, and I was like, hmm, what are some good stories this year, and I found one, and this one was actually in the news, so this is a true story. And okay. uh, there was stuff about it on Reddit, and then there was stuff in the news uh, about it, and so it's pretty, uh, pretty interesting, uh, creepy, uh, and if for those people who have kids, uh, they can probably relate to something like this. So, without further ado, I will play my creepy episode, my creepy uh, story here. All right, I'm excited. In November of 2013, the Disney movie Frozen came out, and anybody who was alive during this period in the world's history knows the impact that it had. You'd be hard-pressed to walk out in public or into a store without hearing the words, Let it go, or do you want to build a snowman? For Christmas that year, an Elsa doll was gifted to a little girl in Houston, Texas. New from the world of Disney Frozen, now you can sing along with Elsa with her magic microphone. Sing a duet together. Let it go, let it go. The doll was a hit with the child in the home and it would recite different phrases from the movie when you clicked the button on her necklace. The doll would sing Let It Go and say other things in English when pressed. Hello, I'm Elsa of Fairy Will you come join me in my ice About two years in, the doll started to say phrases in Spanish at times. It would alternate from English and then back to Spanish when interacted with. 
This was strange because they didn't even know there was a setting to switch it to Spanish. And if there was, why was it alternating back and forth between English and Spanish when saying phrases? The doll started to exhibit other strange behaviors as well. Despite never changing the batteries from the factory, the doll would occasionally begin to speak or sing when it was not being interacted with. These random outbursts from the doll continued to occur even when the switch in the back was set to off. The family dealt with this creepy doll and the bizarre antics for six years, when finally in 2019, they decided to get rid of the doll. The mother said, My daughter was fine with getting rid of it. It was old, and she had colored on it, and I'm sure it was covered in germs, so we decided to the garbage was the better place than to donate it. The mother threw the doll in the trash and thought that was the end of it. To their surprise, a few weeks later, they found the doll inside a bench in their living room. The kids insisted they didn't put it there, and the mother believed they would not have dug it out of the trash to do so. After the doll's return, it would only speak Spanish, and only sing Spanish when pressed. The family was over the doll, and at this time, they wanted it gone. They put the doll into its own trash bag, and then inside another trash bag that was full of other trash. They then put that trash bag at the bottom of their trash can, underneath other trash bags and garbage to be collected the next day on trash day. They did not want this creepy doll returning and wanted to send it to the depths of the local landfill forever. Thinking the issue had been taken care of, the family forgot about it and soon after went on a vacation. Upon the return from their vacation, they were putting things away when one of the children in the home runs up to the mother and says, Mom, I saw the Elsa doll again in the backyard. This sent chills down the spine of the mother. The worn, torn doll that had been thrown away twice now was sitting upright in their backyard waiting for them. Could this have been a prank, or could this be a possessed doll that, like Woody and Buzz Lightyear, refused to leave its owner's side for the landfill? The owners were not having it, and shipped the doll to a family friend in Minnesota, who taped the doll to the front of his truck as a form of punishment and to keep it away from the family. So the next time you see a teddy bear or a doll on the front bumper of a vehicle, there may be more to the story than meets the eye. Creepy. Yeah, Creepy, dude. dude. Man, I chop that thing up and send it to 10 different places, 10 different side corners of the world. Yeah, dude. <laughs> I realized how many times I said trash in like this, like one sentence. I was like, they put it in a, a trash bag and then they put it in another trash bag with more trash in it. And then they put that in the bottom of their trash can and then trash on top of that trash can. And then they put the trash out for the street for trash day. I was like, oh, geez. <laughs> My favorite part was, the cold never bothered me anyway. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, dude. Can you imagine like that creepy thing coming back and then like it just randomly spouting out uh 
um, <laughs> lyrics to the song. Man. So, yeah, true story. Uh, in fact, there's a picture up of the guy, the brother-in-law they sent it to, or the family friend. He's got it strapped onto the front of his truck. Uh, it's just, and uh, he drives around with it there. So, you never that's know. Funny. Maybe <laughs> you can put that in the YouTube video. Yeah, that's crazy. Interesting. Yeah, dude, doll stuff is creepy. Yeah. It's like, what is it like? There was like, the little Furbies or whatever. Oh yeah, the Furbies. They, they would like they would like say super creepy things, and they could like mimic what you said, and they would like record your voice and play it back to you, and weird stuff like that. I don't know what technology was in Furbies, but it was like part magic and then like part demon, and so you'd be like, <laughs> people would I don't know people would like train it to say like horrible things, and in like the middle of the night, it would just be like, I'm gonna kill you, and like from the from like the depths of a closet, you know, and you're like, oh my gosh. What the heck? Who taught it to say that? And why is it saying it now? So, Furby was the, the was the uh, brush with artificial intelligence that we all didn't want uh, yeah, back, in the, early, back in the nineties, early two thousands. So that's the, when that's Skynet funny. almost got launched. Then we came back uh, to, to to safety, and now we're on the verge of uh, artificial intelligence revolution again. So that's funny. Yeah. All right. Well, kind of creepy. Yeah. So be careful with what you be careful with what your kids are playing with. You never know what kind of demonic toys they might be. Demonic toys these friggin' toy companies are having having us pay for. Yeah. So let's see. What tell us about your story? So my story. uh, This is a very well known. uh, Let's say uh scary lore and um there was about 50 million different versions of this story so kind of compiled a bunch of different stories and uh made it my own a little bit so uh, you'll probably recognize the story uh, but it was always one that is always good to tell around the campfire at night okay last year you told about swish boom yeah yeah that last was, year was swish boom that was good yeah. So right. I won't spoil it anymore. We'll get into it. Well, actually, before we get into it, I'll say I kind of went for a little like uh, uh, Stranger Things meets Swish Boom type uh, uh, thing Music here. Fight. So okay. we'll see how we'll, we'll see how that goes. <laughs> OK, cool. Here we go. Have you ever had a gut feeling? that something was wrong, but didn't find out until later that you were right. Today you will hear about a young couple and the man with the hook. One moonless night in a quiet town surrounded by dense woods, a young couple decided to venture out for a drive. With the windows down, the warm breeze on their face, they found themselves driving through a desolate stretch of road known for its eerie stories. As they cruised down the lonely road, the radio suddenly crackled to life. With a warning, from the local sheriff. 
he urged everyone to be on the lookout for an escaped convict. A man with a pirate-like hook for a hand who had a very violent and murderous history. The warning sent shivers down their spines and they quickly locked the doors, their nervous laughter echoing in the tense silence. They were not far from the prison, but miles from the nearest town. With only the rustling trees and the winding roads to keep them company. With each passing mile, the tension in the car grew. The darkness outside persisted, and the forest seemed to close in around them. As they drove down the dark, twisty road, they heard a thump on the passenger side of the car, and then a rattle near the front tire. The girl and her boyfriend were startled. I don't think I hit anything, he said. I wonder what that noise could have been. The boyfriend was worried that something was wrong with the car. He wanted to pull over and check things out, but the girl tried to talk him out of stopping. It's so dark, and you heard the warning from the sheriff. They started to argue as he parked on the side of the road. She begged him, just keep driving. As they sat there, he explained that it would only take a minute to check it out. That's when they heard another thump on the side of the car. What was that? We're not even moving. The girl began to feel nervous. She asked again if they could just leave, as she could feel an uneasy feeling setting in. Her boyfriend again said he would be just a minute, and he started to get out of the car. They heard another thump, and a long, screeching sound like metal scraping on metal. And a faint voice said, You have made a grave mistake. Panicked, the girl and her boyfriend looked at each other, and without a word, he got in, put the car in drive, and punched the gas. Their hearts were pounding as their car emerged out of the woods and came into the town. Did you hear that too? I don't know. Let's just go home, said the girl. When they got home, the girl had started to feel a bit foolish for getting spooked over some silly noises in the dark. I'm sorry, she said to her boyfriend. I don't know what I was so upset about. He agreed that it must have been nothing, forgave her, and they got out of the car laughing over the silly fight and how scared they were. Until the girl closed her car door. One look, 
and she was frozen in fear. Terrified as she saw a long scrape on the passenger side of the car leading to a metal hook lodged in the handle of the car door. The couple ran inside and called the police. But after weeks of combing the woods, they never found the hook-handed killer. To this day, they have never returned to that desolate road, and the memory of the man with the hook still haunts their every journey through the night. They say people have seen a man wandering the woods at night, looking for his lost hook. So ye be warned, be careful when you're in the woods at night. Nice. Be ye warned. I love, I love the pirate talk. Be ye warned. Is our hooks standard issue in the correctional f- uh, system? <laughs> yeah. You know, I was thinking about that. That seems like a safety hazard. Uh, yeah, it's like it. Shank, oh, a shank concern, shanks are but... not okay, but hooks are fine. <laughs> Dude, right, well, well told story. Uh, love the music. Uh, very creepy. I can imagine being out on a road like that and just being like, I'm just going to check the car, babe. And then it's like, yeah, don't worry about it. That'd be creepy. One time I was uh, going out to uh, just go out for the evening. It was kind of dark outside. And this was when I was in I was in high school, and I we had a I had my truck parked right next to our trash cans outside the house, and I went and sat in the seat, and I just had the door open, and I was just kind of like texting with somebody or something, and all of a sudden, a raccoon came out of the trash can, and <laughs> I was so terrified. <laughs> I was like, "What is happening?" I slammed the door shut, and I was just like, "What just happened? Why is there so-? like?" The trash cans because it was like made a ton of noise, right? And then the lid slammed back down. The, the raccoon like ran off, and I was like, "Dude!" So I can imagine like you know being in the middle of the woods, pitch black, and you hear somebody say, "You have made a grave mistake." Mistake. Oh shoot, man! That, I, that, I remember. I remember one time I was coming home. Um, it was late. It was maybe like. I don't know, midnight or 1230 or something. And I was in high school and I was coming home and uh, driving through our neighborhood, uh, kind of the back way to get home. And there was, it was dark. I mean, there really is like no uh, street lights or anything like that. And so it's just dark. Yeah. And so I pull up to, uh, as I'm pulling up to a stop sign, there's like something that's like across the road. And I'm like, what the heck is that? And so, um, I, uh, kind of like stopped and like pulled up to it and someone had, uh, taken like, I don't know, it was like a big roll of like, you know, that like really wide saran wrap mm-hmm. and they had gone around the stop sign across the road and around the street sign, like, like a freaking million times. Oh, really? And so, so you couldn't really, I mean... You couldn't get past it. It was just blocked off. Mm-hmm. And there was trees on either side. 
and it was just pitch black dark and i'm sitting there in the car in the truck and i was just like uh like what the heck like this is weird yeah yeah and so um dangerous at the well i just sat there for a minute and i was just like i was like what what are my options here i'm like i get out of the car and someone mugs you (laughs) somebody mugs me or i get out of the car and walk up to it and then somebody like jumps in the car and steals the car or you know or maybe it's just some hoodlum kids or something like that so i just sat there for for like i don't know a couple minutes and then i saw like behind some trees like some like uh like shoe like white shoes like moving around Uh uh-huh and i was like uh it's probably just the option of uh some hoodlum kids making, you know, making a ruckus. Yeah, yeah. So I always had a a, a big knife in the um, a glove compartment, mm-hmm. and so I took the knife out and I went over there and I just went and just cut it like right down the middle. Mm-hmm. And then you could hear like off to the distance they were like, "Oh, geez," and it like fell down. And I just like drove over it. And I was like, <laughs> "Okay, man, my bad." <laughs> Good thing a motorcyclist didn't come by and get absolutely clotheslined by that thing. Yeah, seriously. Well, it was pretty apparent. I mean, it wasn't, it was not, there were so many layers, it was not see through. Jeez. Oh, that's bizarre. Yeah, kind of crazy. But yeah, that's the, the story of the man with the hook. You got to watch out for those hook, those hook handed people. The hook handed killer. They're, they're, shi- called them. they're shifty people, man. You be warned. Um, cool. Well, I guess I got, I got another little story here. Uh, and this is one that, so there's this like subreddit that's called, I think it's called glitch in the matrix, but also, uh, there's a kind of a, a lore of stories around uh, out there that people tell where they maybe about intuition or they could have sworn they saw something or they had an experience where they were in a place and then almost like a time slip, you know, there's a theory that time, the way that we see it linearly, linearly, isn't necessarily how time actually exists. There's a theory that time is just an illusion and then everything is happening all at the same time. Well, I just use time to describe it, what I'm talking about. Everything is happening right now and time is simply an overlay that makes us think that this is all linear, but really it's all happening congruently. And so, it's kind of an interesting uh, idea, and it makes you sometimes think about some of these time slips. I think sometimes, perhaps, uh, maybe paranormal events are what people think, oh, this is a ghost. Maybe it's a, a time slip where they're seeing an echo of something from years ago, you know? Or yeah. years in the future. Or years in the future. So, yeah, exactly. So, it, kind of interesting. This is a, a story that is... This is a typical story, and this is one that uh, was told by this guy on Reddit. But these are there's actually a lot of these these types of stories out there, and so I thought it would be really cool to share. So I'll just read it uh, exactly as it's written here, and uh, you guys can uh, judge it to see what you think. Maybe if you have, if you have had any of your own experiences like this, hey, come and talk to us. We want to hear you. So this one says, "My grandpa told me about a trip he had when he was a salesman." in his 30s. I believe it was in the late 60s or beginning of the 70s. Driving on his way to a customer, he stopped at a gas station. He thought it was weird that the station had older pump systems 
with handles used to pump the fuel, and it wasn't normally something you'd see at the t- at that time. But he needed gas and proceeded to walk into the store to get help from the attendant at the desk. He came up to the person behind the desk, and then he got creeped out in a way he never had been before or since, which is what the grandpa said. The guy behind the counter was standing stiff as a board with his hands on the desk, on the counter, I imagine, and just stared straight into the room as if he couldn't see my granddad, and he whispered some sort of unrecognizable speech, too. And when he looked around the store in panic, he then noticed when looking out the windows that it wasn't the same type of weather as it was when he parked his car. This is the grandpa. He's like, what's up with the store? And the weather's changed. And it looked very grayish outside. He then ran back out to his car, where the weather suddenly was as it was when he arrived, and he drove away from that place with what little he had gas he had left in the tank. When he got to where he was supposed to go, which was the customer's house, he told the guy about what just happened, and the guy was very adamant that there hadn't been a gas station there for many years. After some discussion back and forth, they finally just they finally just got in the car and drove out to that place just to find an empty lot where you could see the outline of something that looked like a building once was there. I'll never forget the story, he told me, and I wish I was better at getting more details right and making a better translation. Oh, apparently this guy's Danish. He says, anyway, I just wanted to share it and hear what people think. So kind of a cool story. Uh, there's, Yeah, that's crazy. That'd be wild, you know? Time, time slip. You're like, what's going on here? This is, Something is off. The weather's changed. This guy's acting creepy. I'm, I'm out of here, man, you know? So... Huh. Interesting. Indeed. I uh I had a story. This is uh a, a story native to North Carolina here. Um where where Jared and I are close by. Uh it's called The Beast of Bladenboro. So the story begins in Bladen, I think it's I think B L A D E N Bladen or Bladen. Bladen County. Um in the town of Clarkton, North Carolina. So this was in December, on December 29th of 1953. Uh, a local wo- a local woman heard her neighbor's dogs barking and whimpering. So she went out to investigate, and as she went out, she saw there was like a big street light uh, down where the dogs were. She saw a large cat-like creature sulking off into the darkness. And this was the first sighting of the beast of Bladenboro. Hmm. So two days later was the creature's first strike. So on New Year's Eve, the Bladenboro police chief named Roy Forres was called out to... um a local farm in the area and this farm had had two dogs that had uh they were very large dogs that had been killed by something what seemed like something very large and powerful uh 
And the interesting thing about this killing of these dogs is that the dogs' bodies had been completely drained of blood. And there was no blood anywhere at the scene, but the the blood had been drained. So hmm. there were a couple other sightings um, in the, the coming days after that. And there were a couple more local people that said their dogs were attacked and after investigation looked like that they were dragged into the woods by some sort of large creature. And so as these reports of these dogs being attacked across the county started coming in and kind of building, the people um, were getting very kind of nervous about what was going on because it was just like in the, the next, like the coming week, like the, the days and days and days kind of all in this, in this area at night is when all these attacks would happen. Some people were like, Oh, it's a bear. Other people thought it was a, uh, a Carolina Panther that is a, what was is thought to be extinct. But at one point, I mean, we're the Carolina Panthers, right? I, I don't know where that comes from. But at one point, there was a, a, a species of panther that lived in, in North Carolina. Hmm. So they said it was about three feet long and about 20 to 30 inches high. So pretty big for a house cat, right? It had a long tail and a face like a cat. Other people reported hearing the creatures screaming from the nearby... Uh, swamps where it lived in, supposedly. Uh, one one person said that when the the cat or this creature screeched, it sounded like a woman with a knife stuck in her back. That's oh what yeah, it said. And, That's how and bobcats it's, it's kinda, sound. <laughs> it's Cougars. interesting because yeah. as we're going through all of this, as I was reading through these, there's actually newspaper articles from the fifties that have like all of this stuff in it. Like they're they're like keeping up with the story in the newspapers as hmm. as they're going. So, uh, on January first, the bodies of two more dogs were found uh, by the the owners, and then they they got the the police involved. A team of professional hunters were brought in from Wilmington, North Carolina, to track down this animal, and the the police chief accompanied them, and they found tons of tracks they said that the the animal's paw track was about the size of a um just bigger than a silver dollar so i mean not like a huge creature but still like relatively big for yeah yeah i mean re- relatively big for like a cat yeah uh that's running around um not only running around but running around sucking the blood out of these animals hmm. um and so then on January 5th, the, the beast actually attacked, I'll say air quotes, attacked its first human. Um, there was a lady, her name was Mrs. C.E. Kinslow, and she heard a sound and her dogs were whimpering outside in the kennel. So she went outside to investigate to see what was going on. And as she went outside, she saw about 100 yards away from her, uh, this cat-like creature. And um, as she was watch- looking at it, it was down this dirt road, it just took off and started charging r- right towards her. 
So she started screaming and, and, and yelling and her husband came out. Um, and I guess they were both yelling and yelling at this creature and they scared it away. Hmm. So they called the cops and that night they actually went out and had like a, a almost like a posse and went out chasing into the woods trying to to hunt down this creature. Interesting. So they didn't they didn't find it. Uh, newspapers picked up the story and it kind of became like a a big thing. Just you, not even just local newspapers, but like you know statewide and even nationwide to a certain extent, or at least in the region. So over six hundred men from as far away as Tennessee descended to this town. And uh, let's see, and a fully armed pack of fraternity brothers from UNC Chapel Hill <laughs> made its way to the town as well, uh, set on putting the beast's head on the wall of their fraternity. <laughs> that was kind of funny. Uh, nobody knew exactly what they were hunting. Um, but they knew that it was running rampant. Some people thought it was a Carolina Panther, like I said, a large cat. Um, but basically, they all came and they, for weeks, they kind of combed the woods and hunted and set traps and other kind of stuff. And they never found anything. They never caught anything. They never killed anything. Um, but it was really interesting is in, in the newspaper that interviewed this one person and said, uh, the town was terrified of this creature. And Evie Butler, who was a young man in Bladeboro, Bladeboro at the time, recalled, he said, nighttime was a feared time around these parts. As the sun set, the entire community on the west side of town went indoors and did not come out unless completely necessary. So, I mean, it was people were so terrified in this town that they wouldn't even come out of their house at night unless they really had to. And I Dang. read another another newspaper report that uh, and this was in the 50s in kind of rural North Carolina. And they had a lot of the houses had outhouses. And mm -hmm. so the bathroom was it was outside of the house. And so they said people were so scared that they um would uh, refuse to go out to the bathroom that they'd bring in like these big like chamber pots or whatever they would have in the house at night wow. so that they wouldn't have to leave the house to go outside of the dark to go to the bathroom. And uh, so it's creepy. Just kind of a, yeah, just kind of an interesting story. I mean, can you imagine just being so terrified that you like living in the woods and literally you think if I go outside, I'm going to be attacked by a blood sucking Panther creature you have to throw it on your 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 night thermals, so you can see thermal imaging as you walk to the. <laughs> yeah, the you, need, you know you got your you got your bed gun, but you need like your 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 outhouse gun. <laughs> yeah, I so said your double gauge sawed off at the outhouse, so you could hold it while you're on the pot. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Dang. So I thought it was kind cool. of an interesting. The beast you know, of Bladenborough. Yeah, the interesting that it was kind of like, I mean, it's a true story, right? People yeah. were like all crazy about this for a while, and I don't know, don't know what it was, but. That's cool. Very cool. The fraternity never got their wall hanger. Ah, man, that would be a legend. You would be, you would be a legend in, in like your fraternity's history if you had gotten that thing hung up on the wall. That's cool. Um, 
Well, I have an I have one more uh, Matrix glitch story, and this is like one of this is a pretty famous one. Uh, it's like on this uh, this channel. It's like one of the best, most liked ones, and the guy's like, "This is a legend story." So and it's, it's pretty cool. So I'll, I'll share it. <clears throat> Uh, so the guy says, and I'll just read it as it's written. The guy who posted this originally just kind of said, you know, this was a throwaway account. I'm just going to post this and then, you know, whatever. Uh, and then he left it. So yeah, there's a possibility it could be fake, but, uh, it's a good story regardless. Uh, he says, uh, my last semester at a certain college, I was assaulted by a football player for walking where he was trying to drive. <laughs> Note he was 325 pounds, and I was 120 pounds. While unconscious on the ground, I lived a different life. He says, I met a woman. I met a, a, a wonderful young lady. She made my heart skip and my face red. I pursued, who for, I pursued her for months and dispatched a few jerk boyfriends before I finally won her over. After two years, we got married, and almost immediately, she bore me a daughter. I had a great job, and my wife didn't have to work outside of the house. When my daughter was two, she, my wife, bore me a son. My son was the joy of my life. I would walk into the room, his room, every morning before I would left for work and doted on him and my daughter. One day while sitting on the couch, I noticed that the perspective of the lamp was odd, like inverted. It was still in 3D, but just wrong. It was a square lamp base, red with gold trim on four legs and a white square shade. I was transfixed. I couldn't look away from it. I stayed up all night staring at it. The next morning I didn't go to work. Something was just not right about that lamp. I stopped eating. I felt I left the couch only to use the bathroom at first. Soon I stopped that too, as I wasn't eating or drinking. I stared at that that lamp for three days before my wife got really worried. She had someone come and try and talk to me. By the time my cognizance was breaking up and my wife was freaking out, she took the kids to her mother's house just before I had my epiphany. The lamp is not real. The house is not real. My wife, my kids, none of it was real. The last 10 years of my life were not real. The lamp started to grow wider and deeper. It was still inverted dimensions. It took up my entire perspective. All I could see was the red. I heard voices, screams, all kind of r- weird noises. And I became aware of pain, a ton of pain. The first words I said were, I'm missing teeth, and opened my eyes. I was laying on my back on the sidewalk, surrounded by people that I didn't know. Lots were freaking out. I was completely confused. At some point, a cop scooped me up, dragged, walked, dragged slash walked me across the sidewalk in grass, and threw my face down in the back of a cop car. I was still confused. I was taken to the hospital by the cop. Seems he didn't want to wait for the ambulance to arrive and give CT scans and all that. I went through about three years of horrid depression. I was grieving the loss of my wife and children. 
and dealing with the knowledge that they never existed. I was scared and I was going insane as I would cry myself to sleep hoping I would see her in my dreams. I never have, but sometimes I see my son, usually just a glimpse of my peripheral vision. He is perpetually five years old and I can never hear what he says. So that was it. That's the end of the story. That's like depressing. That's crazy. It's like Inception, right? You know. Yeah, it's like you had a. I mean, he spends a lifetime. Yeah, lived lived a, lived a whole life. Or he lived ten years and had a wife and kids moment. and all this stuff. Yeah. Like maybe it was just like the the dream was so vivid to him that it was like he's literally suffering with depression from losing his family. Yeah. Dude, that's crazy. Isn't that wild? I was watching this, uh, it might have been uh, listening to Joe Rogan or something like that, and they were talking about mushrooms and acid and drugs or something like hallucinogens and stuff. And uh, they were talking, this one guy was talking about, he did like these shrooms that were laced with acid or something. It was like this crazy concoction of something. And he said that he just went into like this trance type thing. And he said he was maybe out for like, I don't know, not even out, but he was just like, you know, didn't pass out. But he was just like in this weird state for like 30 minutes. But then when he came to, he said that he had lived an entire life in that 30 minutes that he was gone. You know, from oh, wow from birth from birth to death, he had all of the experiences. And you know, in his mind, it was just like the time was so slowed that he lived an entire life in his mind. And it's just like it's exhausting. Dude, that's that's crazy. I mean, perception is is a crazy thing. I mean, the mind is a crazy thing. Yeah. That'd be horrible to be like, you know, to to be married and have kids and love them and then all of a sudden realize that everything was fake, you know? Yeah. And that like that attraction that you had and that like love that you had to them was just was just a figment of your imagination. Or an even crazier question is, was all of that real and him staring at that lamp? Did he have some kind of crazy psychotic break and now he's sitting in some insane asylum somewhere and him waking up being beat up or whatever? That's the real dream. <laughs> I don't know. Kind of reminds me of that movie. What's it called? Next with Nicolas Cage where he sees into the future. And like the whole movie, spoiler alert, <laughs> the whole movie is like he's with Jessica Biel and she allows him yeah, to see he, further he into can, the future. He can see, I think like it's like two minutes or one minute into the future. But she allows him to see like way further in the future. So the whole movie plays out and then it goes all the way back to the beginning where, where he was like laying in bed with her. And it's yep. like he just saw all that happen, like two, three days worth of stuff. Yeah. Pretty wild. Crazy. Yeah. Cool. You got any more stories? Um, no. Well, I kind of had one that was kind of interesting. It's kind of an urban legend from from World War One. Uh, it was called the the Wild Deserters, and this was kind of there was some um, some records of this on both sides of of the the war. You know, in World War One, you know, World War One was was really known for trench warfare. 
And so between the two trenches, you, depending on, um, you know, where you were at, sometimes you had, you know, a mile or so of, um, of basically this just dead space that was called no man's land. And, uh, sometimes it was shorter. Sometimes it was, you know, 20 yards and sometimes it was, you know, a lot, a lot longer. Um, but you know, they would do raids across no man's land and it was just muddy and filled with the dead and barbed wire and just everything nasty that you could possibly imagine. Well, the urban legend goes that there's a group of, um, from both sides, deserters, there were people that deserted both sides that lived in order to escape basically the, um, let's say just the monotony and the, the, the terror of constant war and the responsibility that came along with that is they actually lived in these massive craters that were in no man's land. And so, um, basically they said, uh, these deserters would come from various armies who participated in the conflict, Australians, French, Germans, Austrians, British, Canadians, Italians. Notice it didn't mention Americans. I'm just going to say that. <laughs> um, uh, but basically the whole Americans thing are like, I didn't come here to hang out in a hole with a bunch of hippies. I came here to either kill or be killed. <laughs> Yeah, so um, they would only come out at night, and they would raid the corpses for clothing, the corpses that people that died in no man's land, for clothing, rations, food rations, and weapons. They fought amongst themselves, and it was said that on occasion, from either side, you could hear gunshots um, coming out from the middle of no man's land, um, and it was thought that these these feral behaving band of, of deserters that lived in no man's land were, you know, fighting amongst themselves. Hmm. And so the, it was, uh, the, the, the legend of this was one of the first places that it was found was in the, the recorded in the memoir of British cavalry Lieutenant uh, Arden, Arthur Hume, Beeman in 1920. So he was one of the first ones that kind of recorded specific accounts of he had heard, heard and seen things that made him think that there was these groups of deserters that lived in the middle of no man's land. Um, so kind of, kind of interesting. It says that eventually there was a, a, an autobiography that was written. A guy wrote his own biography by a army captain years later that recounted some of the similar things as well, which was kind of interesting. And in in that account, it was stated, and this was a captain, so I guess maybe he knew more about what was going on, but it was stated that after World War I was over and the troops withdrew from the front lines, the the wild deserters, as they were called, they were all gassed and killed so that they would not kind of take take their own liberties and just ravage the countryside because they were just these kind of bloodthirsty savages, ravagers that kind of lived in no man's land that, hmm. I don't know, got a taste for blood or human flesh or I don't know, whatever. <laughs> yeah. 
But well, I just thought it was kind of it was kind of an interesting story that you know there have been several accounts on both sides of yeah. people like oh yeah there's people that live out there and can you imagine that like you know it's pitch black dark and you're in, in the middle of World War One you hear guys screaming all around you you're you're lying in in blood and guts and water and mud and anything else you can imagine just trying to survive and you're looking out maybe into no man's land and you see like things moving around out there or you see, you know, you've seen how many people have died out there. And you just like, you can't think that there's not, you know, ghosts or apparitions or whatever else that's out there just haunting no man's land. Oh yeah. So kind of, then imagine being one of those guys in those, those like, bunker like those uh raider platoons that just like went over with brass knuckles and like knives and stuff oh yeah dude there was the the italian the arditi remember that one we did an episode on the arditi they were basically uh they were a trench warfare specialty platoon from the italians that all they did was they went secretly into other people's trenches with armed but nothing but knives and they would just freaking slay yeah. Crazy. Yeah. Well, cool. Well, this has been a great Halloween episode. Uh, hopefully you've been creeped out and you're in the mood for the Halloween season. Uh, and uh, we always like to have fun on this episode. We like to explore new things. And that's part of our, our creed here is just to have fun and explore new stuff. So thanks for joining us. And let's build our creeds together. All right. Let's do it. <laughs>